Welcome to the sixth episode of the comic show on Monkeys Fighting Robots. This week, we are reviewing Astonishing X-Men number one, Doom Patrol number seven, and Black Hammer number 11. There was also this little convention out in San Diego this past weekend that we'll probably have a conversation about. I'm your host, Matthew Sard. I'm also the co-founder of MonkeysFightingRobots.com. Joining me in the conversation is my co-host, editor of the comic book section of Monkeys Fighting Robots, Anthony Kumpasto. What up, everybody? Uh, if you like the show, as always, please subscribe on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, or Stitcher. Uh, feedback is very welcome. Please comment, let us know how we're doing and what books we should be reading. Dude, I'm excited for this week. I think we got, uh, first of all, San Diego was huge. We actually got comic book news out of Comic-Con for once. And then last week was like indie heaven for us. We had all indie books. Like there were no superheroes in sight. And this week we have all superhero books to talk about and team books, no less. I'm trying to think of what my most exciting thing from San Diego is. And we'll probably like start the episode with a little bit of San Diego and end the episode with a little San Diego. But I'm really excited about the death and return of Superman animated two-part film that's going to come out in the end of next year, part one, and then early 2019, part two. I'm going to be an old fart, but like, I really loved, not at the time I didn't like it, but I read like the novelization of the death and return of Superman, and I love that book. And I kind of love the hokiness of the 90s that it brought out too. No, but we... I mean, DC animated stuff is killing it. So I'm always looking forward to DC animated stuff for the most part. There have been some misfires, but I saw, I think one of our writers, it might've been Nick. I, I, I don't even know who it was who posted on Facebook. They were like, I'm genuinely curious if Mar if DC knows that they own more properties than Batman and Superman. Like, I feel like all of their animated movies are Batman, Superman. Like I would love to see a different character portrayed. Especially because we're basically getting the death and return of Superman in the DCEU right now. And they already did Superman Doomsday, which was a condensed version of the death and return of Superman. So they've already done this. I mean, they did Green Lantern. They did Wonder Woman. Uh, Superman and Batman sell. I think that's what they, it comes down to is they know they're going to invest a certain amount of dollars in something and then go from there. But yeah, they're definitely not expanding the universe as much as they think they are. Yeah, Superman and Batman sell, obviously, but like, look at what Wonder Woman just did at the box office. It just killed. So give me another Wonder Woman movie. We just had an animated movie a few years ago, but give me another one. Adapt a different storyline. Or give me an Aquaman movie. I would love like a good uh, animated movie based on Jeff John's Aquaman run. I love the question in the Justice League Unlimited series. I would love a question show, a question movie and or like Blue Beetle Booster Gold. Like those could be good. Those could be really funky, fun but I don't know if they'll go that deep and spend that much money. No, yeah, definitely go more obscure. Actually, honestly, I think I've heard rumbles. I think there might be some kind of Booster Gold Blue Beetle thing in development. They're talking about it. And we did get some obscure stuff in Justice League Dark not too long ago, but again, they had to throw Batman in there to sell it. Again, as much as you're complaining about Batman, how excited are you for Gotham by Gaslight? Oh my God, I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> I can't lie. I can't lie. I want it, but it's really more the death and return of Superman. I think that I'm bitching about. Yeah, but Gotham by Gaslight—that's going to be so good. And it was—it's only a 48-page comic book that they're basing it off of. So to make a 90-minute movie or a 60-minute movie, they're going to have to actually really add a lot more to it, and it could be interesting. Or it could be a huge misfire, a la the Killing Joke. As long as Batman's not dating. Batgirl, I'm fine. I I really had to. I I heard that 
before I saw the movie, I heard they were going that route, and I had to hide that information from my girlfriend because I knew she, there was no way she was going to go see that movie if she knew that ahead of time. I was, I'm still mad about that. Um, and I feel like other guys are just still, oh, man, that's one question I didn't ask Dan DiDio when I talked to him. What's up with the batman Batgirl relationship that's been running around DC lately? They've been doing a lot of really good things, but that's just a bad, bad, bad thing. And I, when EJ and I reviewed The Killing Joke, I, on the movie show, I just tore into it. I was so upset with that. I just couldn't believe the bullshit that they put into that movie. Uh, so obnoxious. And Azzarello wrote it. Brian Azzarello wrote that movie, which was just the most shocking. Yeah, I there's there's some guys that I really like. Their scripts just don't translate the feature films. They just don't. I don't get it. Yeah. I don't understand um, it. I don't know what the di- disconnect is. Uh, I'll have to talk to more comic book writers about it, but... There's something that happens when you go from like comic book strip to film strip and where things just get lost. Speaking of reboots, are we talking about reboots right now or, or rehashes or remakes? Is that what we're talking none about? Of, none of the above. Well, no, The Killing Joke was a remake of the comic book, wasn't it? And all the cartoons are based off comic books, so they're kind of like remakes, aren't they? Ad- adaptations. Adaptations, remakes. I feel like we're... Uh, you know, we we get where it's a baloney, Bologna. I mean, it's you know, it's all that stuff. No, it's an adaptation if it's like the first one, like the first ever Wizard of Oz movie was an adaptation. Every Wizard of Oz movie that came after that was a remake. Okay, what do we call every Astonishing X Men number one after the first Astonishing X Men number one? Uh, we call it a, a new number one, a new volume. I'm not. It's not a reboot because it's not changing anything. A reboot is like starting over from scratch. This is just a new series. And I like Charles Soule. He kind of knows who I am. He's currently touring the United States in a van uh, promoting I'm, curse words. I'm really upset that the Curse Worlds World Tour is not coming to Florida. I still can't believe they got a van and then they painted the Curse Words logos and images all over it and then they got t-shirts in there this is something that's pretty amazing in the comic book world i've never heard of any indie producer you know going on a big world not not big world tour big u.s tour to promote a comic book in a van with the writer and artist and ryan brown's the artist and they're just going crazy i think they even got like curse words beer too like it they're full-blown right now i mean it's it's a great series actually in the new issue of curse words I, I tweeted a picture to Charles Soule from when we were at Megacon of uh, someone who was cosplaying as Wizard, and he, he printed it in the back of the latest issue of Curse Words, the picture I sent him. But he didn't credit me. It was me. If you read Curse Words, that's my photo. <laughs> but we're talking about Astonishing X-Men number one. Yes. Uh, one piece of advice that I would give a series like this. Instead of using panels to explain who the characters are because these characters have been around for the longest time, either use the first inside cover or the back cover or the back page and just tell me who the characters are with like a little bio at the end. Don't use the actual story to tell me who these characters are because number one, I knew 99% of the characters that were involved in it. But if there was some kind of like wiki section in the back of the book or the front of the book that kind of had things, I dig that kind of stuff, and I think that would have added to the book, not taken away from it the way that the descriptions of the characters were in the beginning of the book. 
Yeah, and they do that for like major events. Like Secret Empire has that right now in the front of every book. They have a page that breaks down all the players. It it didn't distract me in this book though. It's not like it commandeered a whole panel. It was basically just like a little caption box in the first panel. Like I was just looking at it now. I feel like if you took those little captions away that said the character name, it wouldn't have changed anything. It it doesn't it, like that panel still would have been the same whether or not you had that caption. It doesn't disrupt the flow of the story. That's what you say. To me, I felt like the book is treating me like a little kid. There's got to be a balance between respecting all the people that fund your book on a regular basis and trying to bring in new readers. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, I get it. I, I think uh, it's a new number one, so obviously you do have to kind of handhold a little bit for new readers and young readers. And uh, But I do think that you know, maybe adding an intro page in the front could have been a good alternative. Honestly, it's it's fifty one way, fifty the other to me. It really didn't seem like that big of a thing. Well, I, not, I drudge books. I critique books. That's what I do. I was just gonna say that I'm not like some old cynical curmudgeon that just likes that just likes to complain every week. I'm not complaining every <laughs> week. I'm looking at this book critically and being like, hey. How can how can we make it better? Uh, what are the things we can improve on? And you know, was it good? Was it bad? I mean, there's been a million X Men books out there, and people are gonna be like, "Oh, this was good," and just throw it in a pile and just generically be like, "Oh, that was a decent X Men book, or it was fine." Set up the story, did a few things, and we can go through the flow of reviewing a book generically. But no, like there has to be a good and a bad, and things I would fix, and things that would go from here and there, and. And that's the one thing I saw right in the beginning. I was like, ah, I don't really need these introductions. Like, if they're at the front, like, I would have read the book. I would have read the front and been like, oh, yeah, these are all the players. And then went, got soaked into the story. And that's what it did for me. I'll agree with you. I mean, I like to give you a hard time, obviously, sometimes. But I do agree with you. Um, I think that if you put the intro page at the front, like you said, it probably would have made this feel less like... Uh, an introduction book where they have to be like, here's this character, here's this character. Now they all come together. Probably would have felt a little bit quicker, uh, a little faster paced and just get right to the action. So I think that would have been a good edit. Actually, I do agree with you, even though I'm giving you a hard time. Because I like Warren. I love the angel. He's one of my favorite characters. I was a big X-Factor kid uh, because X-Men had all the books and it was like an X-Men, like whatever, 200 or something. But then X-Factor came along and said, oh, it's a number one. I can jump on, I can jump on this. And start from the beginning and be all caught up, and, and it was a good jumping on point. I'm trying to think of the guy's name. I see him everywhere, but uh, the the French guy that was hanging out with Gambit, Phantom X? No, Phantom X, yeah. yeah it Phantom is Phantom X, X. From Grant Morrison's run. Like, I don't know who that guy is. Like, I need, I need a little I need a little refresher on that guy. Yeah, I don't think a lot of people know who. I mean, I know who he is just because he pops up all the time, but even after I read this, I had to kind of Google him and be like, what are his powers again? He shoots really well, and he's good in combat. Yeah, he looks like a really bad, like, he looks like a G.I. Joe figure that's on Cobra's side. Like, he's a bad Storm Shadow. <laughs> he does. But, yeah, what were you saying as far as, like, generic X-Books go? I feel like there's been a lot of that, especially after the Inhumans versus X-Men, and we just got a, a ton of X-Men and Inhuman books out there. So I was kind of looking forward to this one, because from what I had heard, this was going to be, like, the book that changed it. Like, this was the X-Men book that mattered. Uh, the retailers... We're saying that it's like one of the best team books. People, you know, reviewers were saying that it's amazing. So I was really looking forward to this one. And, and I love Charles Soule. 
and I love Wolverine, and he's front and front and center on the cover. So I was yeah, but that's to not story. Wolverine. Wolverine's dead. It's it's old man Logan. Yeah, but that's not Wolverine. Don't be saying like that's Wolverine. I, I apologize uh, for misleading you out there in podcast world. It's Wolverine. He's dead. He's like I don't even think he's dead. I think he's just in a metal shell right now, just stewing. He's just waiting for whatever editor to be like, hey, I think I'm going to free Wolverine now. I wish these characters were like real, like Toy Stories, so they could just be like, I would love to know like Wolverine's like opinion right now on the writing of his character and how he's been frozen in metal and like what he's thinking right now. I, that's what I, that's the stories I want to see. Dude, I'm a little pissed off because Legacy, I don't want to get off on too much of a tangent, but Legacy's coming out. They're doing this Generations 10-issue series where they're pairing all of these old and young characters together. And one of the issues is the Wolverines, like young Laura and Logan. And I was like, well, how are they doing that? Are they bringing him back already? And there's a couple of different issues where you see characters who are supposed to be dead. And I was like, well, maybe they're bringing these guys back. But I, I just discovered that they're not really meeting these people now. They're going and meeting... Wolverine in the past or Miles Morales is going to meet Spider-Man in the past, even though they've already met. So it's a little disappointing to me, but we are going to get a, a, a Wolverine again in some form, at least. And then I also remember like, cause who was the Gambit or Phantom X say that Logan or old man Logan killed all the X-Men. Did that happen in old man Logan? I couldn't remember. Is that something new? Bishop said it because he's from the future. And yeah, Old Man Logan and Mark Millar's Old Man Logan Mysterio tricks Wolverine into killing all the X-Men. Oh, yeah, that's what happened. I was trying, I was going to research that and reread it, but I was like, it's like I kind of remember like the Red Skull, I kind of remember some other things, but I was like, I don't remember Wolverine killing everybody. Yeah, Bishop kind of throws that around pretty casually in this issue, too. Yeah, no, it's in his face. It's, it's, it's pretty much like, and I was like, how does Bishop know this? Well, he's from the future. He knows alternate futures and timelines, I guess, like Cable, maybe. I don't know. Again, I'm not a huge X-Men fan, to be honest. I, I've tried so hard. I read the original Astonishing from Joss Whedon and John Cassidy. And I, I read Grant Morrison's New X-Men. Those were the, the, And then I've read a lot of Wolverine. Wolverine's the one that I've always read. But uh, Bishop is not someone who I'm super, you know, I'm not reading every book he's in. Like, I remember when Bishop first got introduced. That's when I was, like, reading comics as a kid. Uh, I remember like the New Mutants and when Deadpool and Cable got introduced and Shatterstar. Oh man, I, I thought Shatterstar with the double blades was amazing. And then that's when you had Jim Lee on the X Men back in the day, and Rogue was in the Savage Land. And I was like, Are we yeah. supposed to look at girls like that? I don't know. <laughs> it's a cartoon. I should stop looking at her like that. Jim, stop drawing her like that. Uh in the Savage Land. But there was an awesome Captain America Black Widow. I think if Rogue is in that one cover too there's an amazing or maybe it's wolverine i think it's wolverine captain america and black widow and widow yeah that's jim lee's first ever x-men cover i think that's a pretty sweet cover i like that cover a lot yeah that's there's a great story behind that if you hear jim lee in a podcast basically whoever was writing that book i don't remember asked him hey who who do you want to draw for your first book and jim lee just kind of pitched captain america black widow and the writer was like cool yeah sure they're in it we'll do it we'll write that that's pretty awesome yeah, Jim Lee got to pick it. But yeah, as someone who is not someone who's craved for X books, I was still looking forward to this. It was good. I liked it. I thought the team had great chemistry uh, amongst themselves, which I really like. I like the banter. I like them coming together. But 
I, I don't think this is going to be some legendary X-Book, to be honest. Well, you got to give it time, legendary-wise, because I, I thought immediately they killed Psylocke off the top, right off the top, and I was like, oh, they're guns blazing if they're going to kill somebody off right in the first three pages of it, because they killed all the other psychics, and then Psy Psylocke got, like, in the in the mix, and I was like, oh, they took her out right away, and then they didn't. But it, it has all the feelings of, like, this reminds me of every X-Men book I've ever read. Is that good or bad, though? Like, shouldn't it be feeling fresh and new and original? Well, there are, like, I've never gone into this, like, the imaginary land where they're going, the meta-universe or wherever they're going to go get the souls of the psychics or, or stop the Shadow King. The astral plane. The astral plane. And I was like, wait a second, is this Doctor Strange? Like, this is where I start getting movies confused of what's going on. Like, the MCU universe is, MCU universe is confusing me, where I was like, wait a second. Are they going to be hanging out with Doctor Strange? Is this what's going to go on? Like, I could kind of get behind that. I could kind of not because I don't really understand magical dimensions in the Marvel Universe, even though I've read a lot of it. Um, but then the, the the kicker at the end, I was like, oh, yeah, that's who it was in the closet. Makes absolute sense. And I was like, this is exactly, you know, it's, it's all about lies and deceit in the X-Men Universe. And that's what this book was. And so I think it has the the general feeling of an x-men book and i like the cast i you know i always forget how much i like beast and then when he shows up i was like damn it i like beast i thought that was awesome and and i love rogue i think she's an amazing character so it has a lot of characters i really like i i was not expecting beast in this issue because he's not on the cover it has old man logan for me he's the one character that i'm sticking around for i do like these other characters i like gambit rogue is pretty cool mystique is on the cover i think mystique kicks kicks ass but I'm interested to see where it goes. That last panel, that reveal, that does have me hooked. I will be picking up issue two when it comes out. Absolutely. There's no doubt about it. It does have me interested. Yeah, I, I just, I don't know. It wasn't, like, it's not, it's not like this phenomenal, you know, game changer like I heard it was. But it, it's definitely a good book. It's enjoyable. It's fun. I, I will keep reading it to see where it goes. Maybe it'll, and it's, it's not even, it's not an ongoing. It's a maxi series. It's not an indefinitely ongoing book. Oh, that's so cool. That's cool. Cause I mean, then, you know, you're going to have a finite point and, a, and they're going to bring out, they're going to, you know, Charles Soule's going to do exactly what he needs to do and, and tell a complete story. It really reminds me of new Avengers. Number one, when it first came out where like the ragtag group came together and like, Oh, this is the new Avengers. And it was all these random people and they just somehow came together. So had a lot of feelings of other books in there for me. Uh, but the reveal at the end, the concept I thought was cool. Uh, like the the spot where they're like all laying on the ground reminds me of Days of Future Past from the movie. Uh, there was yeah. a there was a lot of different feelings going on in this this book right here. All good feelings. Uh, I, I I disagree with the New Avengers comparison. I thought New Avengers one hooked me a lot better than this book did. Maybe I just have stronger connections to those characters. What did you think of the art? Because it, it's by Jim Chung, who. I like it. It's it's good, but he's not he's not my favorite. His faces all turn out very blocky. I feel like a lot of characters end up looking the same. But it is it's a good style for an action book like this. I'm curious just to think what you, uh, what you thought about it. If David Finch and John Romita Jr. had a love child, it would be this guy. Oh, so you didn't like it? No, no, no. Because if you if you pull the spectrum of John Romita Jr. over towards David Finch, 
John John Romita Jr. gets a little bit better. That's fair. I've seen, you know, Jim Chung is someone who Marvel taps for a lot of big books, a lot of event books, and you know, I've seen him plenty of times, so it's def- and it's recognizable is the thing. is He's an artist who I can see a panel and say, oh, that's Jim Chung, so he's got to be doing something right. No, I recognize all this stuff. I love the colors. Who's the colorist on this book? Richard Eisenhoff and Rain Barreto. I'm like halfway through the middle because the opening sequence with like Rogue and Psylocke duking it out and then like Wolverine's colors. There's a lot of really good colors in this book and I, I enjoyed it and I, I like the artwork. Very action-packed. It, it, it's Again, it's what I expected from an X-Men book. Like when you start with Jim Lee and then you go into Mike Sil- uh, Mark Silvestri and then you kind of just go down the line of who's done X-Men books. This is what an X-Men book is supposed to look like. Yeah, it is. And it's everything you just said. It is. I think maybe I'm just more a fan of maybe deeper character studies. I love solo titles more than team books. I did enjoy this. I am curious to see if they get, they're saying they're going to get weird. So I'm curious to see how weird they get. Like I said, it's a, it's a maxi series. It's that universe, that universe that they're going in the astral plane, like, it's got to be weird. There's a lot of potential there. And this book definitely has me hooked to kind of read the second issue. And I also love when, like, the dark type is the bad guy. The light type is the good guy. Like, you, you know, and then you have that guy talking through it, but he's not really in the issue until the end. I also, because it's been so long since I've seen The Shadow King, like, I didn't realize that he was a giant, like, spider, spider. Spider, <laughs> spider kingpin. Spider kingpin. <laughs> It's like what with, uh, with a little fez hat on? Yeah, I was so confused. I was so confused. Is he gonna hop out of a little car next? I don't know. The astral plane is gonna be crazy. They're promising that this is gonna be in the back of the book. It says it's gonna be one of the strangest X Men stories ever told, and apparently every issue is gonna have a different artist too. Ah, so that's as, gonna suck. as they're doing this, next issue is gonna be Mike uh, Diodato Jr. So, which I'm not a fan of. I feel like it's an issue that a lot of books have right now where they're trying to crank out books as quick as possible so they alternate artists a lot and you have a lot of substitute artists. It, it's harder to get into a flow. I feel like the most recognizable and best series are ones that have a consistency to it, like Snyder and Capullo's Batman or King and Walt's Vision, like something that has a consistent feel. Wait, how many times are you going to mention a Vision today? Oh, when we get to Eisner conversations, forget it. But that's, that's one for those of you counting at home. Uh, we're getting to Bukaki territory. Just letting you know. <laughs> to people who don't listen to the movie show, that is going to really confuse them. It's an inside joke of inside jokes. It's like next level inside joke. It's incentive for them to go back and catch up on the movie show. There you go. It's a classic. It's a classic, my friends. How many monkeys are you going to give this book? I will give it 3.9. 3.9 monkeys. 3.9 monkeys. That point nine monkey is just going to be missing an ear. It's going to be sad, sad little monkey with no ear. Ah, <laughs> uh, what do I want to give this? I really liked it. I like this book a lot. And and I have a lot of complications and everything. But I, I like, I love Warren and I love Archangel. And I know he's going to psycho crazy out at some point in time in this book. So. It's got me hooked. It's got me hooked. I'm going to go four. Four robots for the me for me. I'm going to go four robots for me. We're pretty much right on par. You're, you're point one above me. So I had to be different. I almost went 4.1 robots just to be a little bit farther away from you. But you didn't. 
Ha, ah, do you want to talk about the book that I liked or the book I didn't like? And we're talking about Doom Patrol number seven. This is from DC's Young Animal imprint, uh, but from Gerard. Wait Wayne. a second. Wait a second. I feel like you need to say Doom Patrol with like a lot of bass and, and like really bring the Doom Patrol to the Doom Patrol. This is Doom Patrol seven. Uh, we're going to have to work on your podcast skills, my friend. I don't have a deep voice. <laughs> Doom Patrol number seven. <laughs> <laughs> oh man uh, man. I ah, you go back to your introduction to Doom Patrol sorry I was just saying it's written from Gerard Way from My Chemical Romance now a comic book writer uh, it's art from Mike and Laura Allred they're subbing in for Nick Darrington who usually does the art who I honestly like better on the art but that is the team for this issue for issue number 7 uh, Gerard Way he just turned 40 so he joins the 40 club with me I'm a little bit older, like six months. It's 40-year-old. It's doing good stuff over there at Young Animal. Really liking it. What is, it what is this Young Animal shenanigans? It's it's an imprint. It's basically, so it's you have DC, you have Vertigo, and now you have Young Animal. And Young Animal is supposed to be the one that goes even deeper and weirder than Vertigo. Wait a second. Why, why did they need something more than Vertigo? Can't Vertigo just be more than Vertigo? I don't know. I don't know. I think Vertigo might kind of be, might have been falling to the wayside kind of. They haven't really had a major hit in a while, I think. And maybe they just needed a, a splash. I mean, Vertigo is still putting out some good stuff. I've read some good Vertigo titles lately, but maybe they just, they, they brought on Gerard Way. Maybe they just wanted to make a big splash with a new imprint. And, and I mean, it worked in a way. Did it work? Did it really work? It did. They have great titles out there. Doom Patrol, I really enjoy. Uh, I'm sure you'll have something to say about it. You know, Mother Panic is really good. And th and people really seem to be liking their other books like Cave Carson and Bug. I'm really liking Bug, The Adventures of Forager right now. It, it's weird. If you like weird, twisted storytelling, yeah, Young Animal is, is working for me. No, I, I saw the cover for Doom Patrol and I was like, yep, I'm not on board for this at all. And then I read the first two pages, and I was just like, oh, this is so bad. This is so bad. <laughs> it's not. Oh, man, you're going to get crucified. I get why people like this. I totally get why people like this. It is just not what I like at all in comic books. I mean, did you like Grant Morrison's Doom Patrol? Grant and I have a very tough relationship because he he's a wordy person that doesn't respect boundaries where on the teddy bear did grant morrison touch you matt that's basically where we're gonna do that one <laughs> believe me i i understand i also as I, I said last week i have kind of a, a hard relationship with grant morrison actually i said that on the podcast last week and i immediately got some instant messages from people just like how how could this be how do you not like getting the whole thing about what Grant Morrison books I liked and didn't like. and But Doom Patrol is a team that is supposed to be weird. So, you you know, if you have Grant Morrison's run, which is legendary and iconic and weird, you have to go bigger than that. You have to go weirder than that. Gerard Way has said he spoke to Morrison before he started this book, and Morrison told him, find the new weird. Like, go weirder. Find your weird. Is that what he did? And he did. He found his own weird. 
did he really find his own weird? Because all I see in this book is is a certain Alan Moore uh, book that was made way back in the day that was made into a really bad movie. That's all I see. You're going to have to be more specific because there have been several of those. I just see the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Ah, okay. I will say I, I really like the first arc of Doom Patrol. I didn't like it when I first read it. It was a book that I, I first read the first issue or two, and I was like, eh. And then once the whole arc finished, I went back and I reread the whole arc, and I really enjoyed it. It's just it's something that you really have to give time and, and your brain to. It's not something that you can just like skim read. You have to really kind of dedicate yourself to it because it's it's a little dense. But this issue, it feels like almost a filler issue because you had the first arc where the Doom Patrol got back together. This issue, you have a substitute art team. Next issue, Nick Darrington is coming back. It was almost like they just kind of had to throw something in here to address the issue with the chief. And it was a good little one and done story. I, I, I did enjoy it, but it, it didn't resonate as well as the whole first arc did with me. The art, I don't think it's the art. I think it's the inker. The inker on this was like a little sloppy. It's, the book is just, the book is just low budget to me. I think the inker is just Michael Allred. I think he penciled and inked it himself. And that's his wife, I'm assuming. Laura, his wife, is the colorist. Okay. So it's a so combination. Maybe she, maybe she inked it. I don't even know. But yeah, I mean, their art. It's good. They do the art on Bug, the other young animal book, and I like it. They're good for, like, psychedelic, trippy things. They did Dance Lot, Silver Surfer Run. But I think just after I was treated to Nick Darrington's art on the first arc, this was just... Um, no, it's really good for what it is. It's, but the problem is it's everything I don't like. It's just more just of a, because of the inking? It's No, just from the, the artwork-wise. The style, the artwork... And then just the conversation of what's going on and like what's going on with the chief and, and the storyline. And I was just like, I just, just no, it's just bad sci-fi to me. I liked it better in the first arc. So this is the first time that the chief has interacted with the new Doom Patrol. But in the first arc, throughout the first six issues, they would just be random one pages where they would just show you what Niles Calder is currently doing. And he would just be like doing random weird things. They're really weird, non sequitur pages. And I, I enjoyed that a lot more than actually seeing him interact with the Doom Patrol and be a, a total D bag, even though he's supposed to be a D bag. Yeah, I mean, there's there's some good panels here, and there's like good like good wit, but like I feel like this issue, and, and you talked about it being a filler issue. This is like, what if Doom Patrol was in the movie Mallrats? That's what I feel like is what's going on with this book. Because it started in the mall? There was one or two pages in the mall? Yeah, and I think it doesn't end in the mall. No, they're just kind of walking around. Oh, it ends in the supermarket. So it ends up with a with a clerk's aspect on the end. <laughs> we're, if, we're going full, if we're going full Kevin Smith. And so it starts Mallrats and clerks. And then you're just, the kitty you're making cat. Me love it more. The kitty cat is all grown up, and I feel sad for the kitty cat. Yeah, lotion. The kitty cat. <laughs> um, 
Uh, Clerks is one of my favorite movies, so you just made me like it more. I will say, although this isn't hasn't been my favorite issue of Doom Patrol, it does have one of my favorite lines from Doom Patrol, where he calls them psychic werewolves, the natural predator of evolved man. I thought that was just a pretty funny and clever line. And I was like, who figured that out? Like I was, everything felt just random for random sake when the chief is talking. He's just going off, uh, and it it could be me not knowing the character that well, but I was just like, oh, we're gonna. We're going to cause a problem and then we're going to like cause a solution, but not really give answers to anything. And, and it's just going to be like, here's another problem. Here's another solution, problem, solution, problem, solution of like sci-fi weirdness. And I get it. It's very zany. It's very zany. You know, the cool kids will be reading it. I get it. You know, the kids that judge everybody else for reading Batman and Superman will read this book and be like, oh man, you're missing out. But I'm always the defender of the guys that are like, hey, it's it's okay for you to like your thing and it's okay for me to like my thing. And, you know, I don't know. These are Doom Patrol. This Doom Patrol uh, are the people that judge you at record stores. You know, like, listen, I'm going to buy my Kiss album. That's what I'm going to do. Yeah, I mean, that's that's what Doom Patrol and Vertigo and Young Animal books are always, that's what they've always been for, is for the people who didn't want to read the Supermans, the Batmans who thought maybe they were outgrowing it and they wanted something more mature and deeper that made you think there's nothing wrong with the superhero books. I yeah, love but how is this book. deeper and how does this make you think more? It's just a more complex book. It makes you use your brain more to realize what's going on. It doesn't hold your hand as much. You don't, you know, you have to use cognitive thinking skills to kind of piece things together. Maybe not this issue in particular, uh, but I'm thinking of just Doom Patrol as a whole. Like I said, the first arc definitely required a second read on my part uh, to get to really get into it. Yeah, it's interesting. I think if the artwork was better, I might have been hanging around, but I just remember reading it and this being the longest read of the book where I was just like, oh, this is dragging. I feel like the chief has witty banter, but it wasn't using any of the witty banter on me. And it was just, it just felt like a long read to me. Well, stick around. Either go back and read the first six issues or stick around for next issue when... The regular artist comes back because he he does he's been doing a phenomenal job on it. Not that the all reds aren't aren't great in their own right, but I think Nick Darrington's a really good fit for this book. So if the art's the biggest thing for you and you're kind of interested otherwise, stick with it. I say. Yeah, there's nobody in here that I'm really excited about. That's the thing is like there's no character. I was like, oh, am I into the robot guy? I don't know. Am I into Larry? You know, Casey. Who's it? Who's it? Like the the most interesting person. I was like, ooh, I want to know what's going on. This. Is the cat lotion? Like, who names your cat lotion? Weird. <laughs> it's really funny that you say that because that's a joke in the first six issues where they're basically that's a weird name for a cat. And I just want to talk to Todd Klein, the letterer, and uh, I just want to ask him to next time try to not make his lettering stand out and just have it be part of the story. Yeah, and a couple of weeks ago you were complaining that the lettering didn't stand out enough in a certain book. Yeah, but this one just looks like it's laying on top laying on top of it like a sticker. Stick around. This, ha this wasn't my favorite issue of Doom Patrol, but I'm still really enjoying the series. I think Gerard Way is doing a great job with Doom Patrol, and I'm into it. I'm really glad that I gave it a second chance. And my second favorite character is the ambulance that says nothing to see here. The ambulance is amazing. <laughs> Danny, <laughs> Dan it's amazing. <laughs> Uh, it's, it's sentient. That's, I guess, a, a character from Doom Patrol back in the day where he's he, he was a brick that had sentience and he became a town and then he was an ambulance. 
he's he plays a really again he wasn't really most of the doom patrol wasn't present in this issue it was really robot man larry and casey and the chief but yeah because the there, there's a because there's a page uh where there's like a a blanked out person um uh, a guy who ju- with a mustache who just had sex with a girl uh an alien looking at a couple planets and a girl putting makeup on but the girl's face is melting off and then it looks like another robot guy and so I was trying to figure out who those people were. Yeah, and they have some really random pages like that, too. Again, it, it's a book that requires you to think and stick with it because throughout the first six issues, too, there would be random pages and random panels that wouldn't be addressed for a couple of issues. They would just kind of put, throw it out there and then count on you to remember it and then bring it back later. Okay, so you haven't seen any of these people before. Um, I mean, I've seen... You know the guy sitting at home with the welcome home banner. He was important in the first issue. Yeah, because yeah, issue. they had the whole. Yeah, there's the welcome home Valerie Reynolds, and then it kind of like peters into the person switching to a different channel, the person that's all blanked out switches yeah. to a couple yeah. different. No, so, no, some of these other people, I don't think that they were not in the first arc. They were they're not as familiar to me. No, no, it's very zany. It's very out there. It's uh, like I said, the cool kids will like it. I apparently am not one of the cool kids. How many monkeys are you going to give Doom Patrol number seven? I'm going to give it four. I'm going to give it 0.1 higher than Astonishing X-Men. Uh, if if it was if it was on par with the rest of the first arc, I'd go higher. But I'm going to give this particular issue a four. See, I'm going to give this a three. And I'm going to give it a three because I read a book. Our next book that we're going to read that's kind of the middle of nowhere of a series and that book made me want to read the rest of the series. I'm so glad. I'm so glad you liked it. So, so that's the problem is, is doom patrol is getting negative points because I don't want to read anything after this one because nothing in there intrigued me enough to make me want to read something else. And you only have 22 pages and I know you want to be like really intense and write this grand global thing. Mr. Way. I get it. I appreciate it. I love it. But you got to put a little something in there to make the reader that just randomly picks it up be like, oh, my God, I got to continue to read this book. And so that's why I'm giving it three because I don't want to read another issue of Doom Patrol because it's just nothing. Nothing got to me in this one. I'm sorry. I'll disagree with you on that one. Maybe this was just a poor, a poor issue to select out of the out of the run. I feel like there are other issues that maybe would have grabbed you more, but. To each their own, I guess. Well, that's the thing is, is comic books now are, are no longer superhero, just superhero books. They're genre books. And I have this thing with films as well. Like, I, there are certain films that I'll go watch. And be like, yeah, I, don't, I just don't like that. It just doesn't mix with me. And the same thing with this. It just doesn't mix with me. And it probably mixes with 10,000 other people that buy it. I mean, I can't see this book selling more than 10,000 copies. That's fair. Let's move on to something then that did resonate with you that I'm excited to talk about, and that's Black Hammer from Dark Horse. Black Hammer issue 11 uh, came out this week. Jeff Lemire, amazing, killing it right now. Dean Ormston and Dave Stewart on art, uh, pencils and colors respectively. Matt, this just won the Eisner for Best New Series. It did? Eisner winning? It is an Eisner winning series. It just won the award. So congratulations to the whole team involved. It is well-deserved. Congrats, guys. Dave Stewart, it, did he pitch for the Oakland A's? Is that Dave Stewart? Probably not the same. Probably not the same person. But right. maybe. That'd be really, really awesome if he, like, 
MLB World Series pitcher and Eisner winning guy on comic book. <laughs> that, would, that would be pretty legendary. Uh, so for those of you that don't know Black Hammer, it is, it's from Dark Horse. It's this, it's basically this alternate Justice League kind of golden age style book about this team that at some point got flung to this. You don't know if it's a different world or a different dimension. You don't know where they are. They just got flung to this small town somewhere. They can't escape it. There's like this energy dome around it that if they try to fly into it, they get vaporized. And they're stuck there, and they've been living there for decades. And they're just trying to escape. This made the story even more interesting for me. I it, The one thing is this is hugely character-driven. And unlike Doom Patrol, Jeff Lemire, he knows how to write a really good story without saying anything. There's so much emotion that happens in the first part of the book, and it's just panel after panel of descriptions and, and stuff that's going on. And then the story adds up, and you're like, oh, my God okay this guy this happened and there's a girl it's also simpler because there's only two characters really involved in it but it's also because no. he's an artist you know he's an artist so he knows visual storytelling yeah no it's just it's oh, and i love the art in this book i really do it, it's well this is the art i expect when i go to dark horse and I, I apologize that i think every dark horse book should look like a mike magnolia book but <laughs> it's his fault you know he made hellboy hellboy made dark horse or however way you want to put it but like i expect every book to look like a magnolia book and this book looks looks like that and i enjoyed it yeah this issue centers on barbalian and golden gale two of the members of this team barbalian a shape-shifting martian manhunter like character golden gale basically a reverse shazam so a woman who has uh, the power, you might not even realize this since you've only read this issue, who has an older woman who has the power to turn into this younger superhero. She got the power when she was young, but then obviously she got older. But even when she got older, whenever she would transform, she'd still be this young girl. Trapped in this alternate whatever, she's stuck in her young form. So she looks young, but she's, an, she's old. She's a you know a, a, an old woman already. And now that I know that they're all trapped in this unit, because I, I, at the end of it, like, it looks like she's Golden Girl's trying to kill herself, or Golden Gale, not Golden Girl. Golden. Yeah, she if is. She, was one, she is one of the Golden Girls. Who knows? I don't But <laughs> No, she's trying to kill herself she's because trying to she's kill depressed. Herself. And I was like, oh, my God, like, this, he, he's depressed, she's depressed, but they're not depressed together. Like, I was like, oh, this book really just made me want to read the rest of the series immediately, just because it really captures some intense emotion right away. You know, it has a decent artwork. It's kind of, it's kind of sketchy. It's kind of, I don't, I don't want to say low budget artwork because it's not low budget because it won an Eisner. But it's, it's got a, what do we, what do we call this style? Because if the last book was very zany, very zany, uh, trippy looking, what do we call this style? Edgy. No, because you want to give edgy to what's his face over on Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider Man. This is edgier, I think, than what Kubert's doing. Oh, it's edgier. It's um, edgier. I want to say this. Why don't we? We just. I feel like this is pulpier. Is it pulpier? I could go with pulp because they are trying to capture that golden age vibe. So it is kind. Of, does kind of have, but it's weird because it. It tries to capture that golden age vibe and be kind of pulpy and vibrant, but then it also gets like really dark and the color palette changes. And um, so, let's so go it's kind of it's a pulpy, mix. It's a mix. Pulpy new, no, pulpy noir. 
uh, trademark monkeys fighting robots 2017. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna start coming up with our own lingo for describing these books because I dig it. We're we're starting to advance in these in these descriptions of what we're doing, and and I'm sure everybody else has come. I'm sure everybody else is doing these podcasts for a long time. Already have these words. I probably should just look for a dictionary of comic book yeah. terms, and then we. Or might... you could write that dictionary. Ooh, I want to write a book. I haven't figured out what the title should be, but I want it to be a collaboration of fellow authors that like comic books or film to write that book. Okay, so you don't want to write it. You just want to. I want to write part of, of it. Find... I want to write I part you. of it. I got you. Okay. You mentioned that this is a character-driven book. Yes, that is what I love about it. I mentioned it earlier that I love character studies and solo books. Whereas, you know, Astonishing X-Men is a team book. This is also a team book. I love that it gives each character their due and it goes in depth on them and really tries to uh, expand them and explore their inner workings. Granted, this is issue 11 and, you know, X-Men is still in issue one. So I can't really compare apples to apples here, but I love that Jeff Lemire does that on this book. And this was a, a very emotional, cathartic experience. Yeah, what? This is so intense. It was so intense. And also, I was trying to figure out who Barbie was since it was the first time I picked up the book. Right. And I was like, who is this Barbie? And then I was like, oh, seeing it. And then there was the, who's the black girl in this that has people staring at her at the park? So that, so Black Hammer is the name of the book. Black Hammer is a member of this super team who got trapped here with the rest of the team he tried to escape immediately he's like i have a family at home i have to get out of here he like flew and then he got vaporized in the shield that's his hammer laying on the floor at the end of the book oh. the the black girl is his daughter who spent years trying to find out what happened to her father and the team somehow she managed to break through and transport herself here but she has no memories of how she did it or how she got here or what happened she's just here now and she's trying to figure everything out because she's like, this is a weird place. Why have you – the rest of the team who have been there for decades, they've just resigned themselves. They've surrendered. They're like, we're never leaving. She's new here. So she's like, what's going on? How do I get out of here? This place is – you know, the library is full of empty books. Like, this is not right. Ah. There was so much mystery in this book that would like just had me like, oh, I need to solve this mystery. I need to figure out all these mysteries that are going on. You really, I think you need to go back and read the first ten issues. You will, you'll love it. I mean, it's just been, it's been eleven issues of intrigue and mystery, and there are some characters that you haven't even met in this book that are so weird. Like you, you would think these two characters are pretty weird, but there are some characters in this book that are just so, so weird that there are whole issues that you just have no idea what's going on. But then there's like a Matrix moment where like this couple with ice cream walks by twice. Yeah. So I'm saying she she knows something weird is going on. These other superheroes have just kind of resigned themselves off. They've sequestered themselves off on a farm. She's actually trying to figure out what's going on. Though that old couple, I mean, that's a haunting scene just to see them pop up again. Yeah, and if you're reading it quickly, you just like you're like, what? What happened? You know. But when you're flipping through the pages again, you're just like, oh, yeah. oh, like you almost again. thought. Like when I was reading, I was like, did they misprint this? Like, is there this panel belong here? Yeah, no. Again, like Doom Patrol, I love that this series it trusts its audience. It makes you think. It makes you reread it. It makes you use a lot of different parts of your brain to get through it. It's not just some smash 'em up team action book, and I wouldn't expect it to be from Dark Horse. No, it's very different than Astonishing X Men. 
I like both for different reasons, and I really like this book. and And Jeff Lemire's has you can, his style now. The more we're reading everything that he's doing, like it just works really well. I mean, he should win many more Eisners in his time. Okay, you gotta, will, you gotta sure. give Eisners to other people. I mean, like it's it's okay that he he's won. You know, like I appreciate it. Good job for you. You gotta let other people win some stuff. All right, fine, fair. But if he deserves it, he deserves it. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of of the thing where they with the Eisners that they should let other people. Like once you win, like you're in, and it's like you're done. And then you like one in that category, then you gotta let other people come in there because Jill Thompson's been winning an award every year at the Eisners, and I'm just like, come on, guys. It's it's a personal. I mean, I like Jill Thompson. I her art works really good. But again, it's I I looked at the list and I was like, oh, this is all the same people that always win Eisner's. And I feel like there's other people out there that are writing good stuff as well. It's my bias on the Eisner's. <laughs> uh, I loved. It. I am. I'm giving this book four point five monkeys. I'm giving it. Uh, there's one page of art that I don't like. Um. Don't dock it for one page. Hey, I didn't tell you to change your number. All right, I apologize. <laughs> I love that the Martian is wearing number 34 on his neck collar for, in a police uniform because that's uh, Walter Payton's number, and uh, that's my number I've worn forever. So I'm going to give it a 4.5 robots out of 5. That's definitely the reason he's wearing that number, too. It's for you. Yeah, and that's your dog. Comic-Con was this past weekend, and we actually got some awesome comic book news. Not just comic book movie or comic book TV news. We got comic book news across the board, and it was awesome. Uh, first up, we kind of mentioned it earlier. The Eisner winners are out there. We have a full list of winners up on the site. You can go check them out. We won't read them all here. I do just want to point out, Matt, that the Vision 1 for Best Limited Series... I think it just threw up in my mouth. Have you read Have you read your first trade yet? No, I was working Comic Con this past weekend. Of course, I didn't read any trades. I read our no. books for our books for this week. I went to the comic <laughs> book store. Oh, I forgot. I was busy getting a Cosmic Cube, and you weren't. That's what I was doing. Uh, I purposefully I could have gotten a Cosmic Cube if I wanted oh, to. You, I oh, you did. You could have. I yeah. I opted not to. I called the store and I, I said, "Ah, it's okay. You don't need to give me one." Oh, you called, but then you said, no, I don't want one. Well, I called because I was curious because I bought the book. I bought Secret Empire, and I was like, hey, why didn't I get this Cosmic Cube? And they were just like, oh, well, we have them. If you if you want one, I'll hold one for you. And I was like, nah, it's just a piece of plastic. Oh, now, now you're too good for a Cosmic Cube because they shunned you at your comic book store? I don't trust myself with that kind of power, to be honest. <laughs> it's a piece of plastic, <laughs> dude. It's a piece of plastic. He's Don't get... try to distract from the fact that the Vision won Best Limited Series. Uh, I did it again. I pooped my pants. <laughs> uh, so the Eisners were up a lot of awesome books. Like we said, Black Hammer won Best New Series. Saga, you know, Best Continuing Series. Friggin' Love Saga. Brian K. Vaughn won Best Writer. Go check out the full list up on Monkeys Fighting Robots. DC had some awesome news as well. They talked about Doomsday Clock and Metal. I was just more of what we've heard, more hyping it up. They put some images out there of the Dark Knights, which, again, that's all up on Monkeys Fighting Robots. Check it out. What I do want to talk about 
is the Terrifics. DC announced the Terrifics, written by Jeff Lemire. Matt, they're doing the Fantastic Four. Yeah, but it's not the Fantastic Four. I know, but it's essentially, come on, you got a stretchy guy, an invisible girl, a rock monster. Like, they're doing the Fantastic Four, basically. And they even admitted it. Jeff Lemire said he's trying to capture the spirit of Stan Lee and Jack Kirby's Fantastic Four. Don't you just love that DC is saying, Marvel's not doing Fantastic Four? People want Fantastic Four? All right, F it, we'll do Fantastic Four. That's interesting that DC is trolling Marvel. I think DC is doing okay with what they're doing and they need to not look at other people and just continue to go forward. That's my opinion on that one. Yeah, well, as long as it's a good book on its own, and I think it will be. Again, it's Jeff Lemire. We just raved about him. As long as it's not just one big troll book, as long as they actually try to make it its own thing, I'm down with it. If it's if it's a bunch of inside jokes and, and kind of like slippery, side It's eye. a slippery slope, my friend. And again... There's an ebbs and flow of comic book world, and sometimes DC is up going high like they are now, and sometimes they're at the bottom, and Marvel's going high. And you don't ever want to like poke the bear and then be at the bottom and see what happens. Like it's just, you know, this we watch sports. Don't poke the bear when they're on the ground because sometimes the bear's going to get up and smack you. Not saying that Marvel's going to do that, but like you don't want to get into this trolling game because it, it's just going to backfire. I, I I think. I think the book could be amazing, and I'm sure, I'm sure the book's going to be great because I like Jeff and his work so far that he's been doing on everything. He's he's won a few Eisners. I think he's won a few Eisners. I know he got at least one this past weekend. Um, but as long as they don't taunt Marvel, I think it's a good idea. Yeah, like I said, as long as it's not full of side-eye and, you know, breaking the fourth wall, trying to poke the bear, like you said, it'll be it'll be good. I'm interested. That was my that was my favorite part of DC News, I think. Yeah, obviously, we had art from Doomsday Clock and Metal, like I said, but the Terrifics Plastic Man's return. Uh, I'm excited about that. I'm a little bit excited, finally, for Marvel Legacy because they're finally starting to announce some of the creative teams. And some of this came out before Comic-Con. Other came out during Comic-Con, but I'm just excited to hear some of these creative teams. Mark Wade and Chris Samney are teaming up to do Captain America. Didn't Mark, didn't Mark Wade already do Captain America? Probably, but like him and not him and Samney together. Are we thinking about a different Samney? Because I don't really think I like Samney's work. They're the they're the team. They did that massive Daredevil run. They just wrapped up Black Widow together. Their stuff has just been amazing. They just have a great style that flows. It feels classic and and kind of pulpy and 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 really just fun. Do I, I really do gonna, I do I want a pulpy Captain America? Do I, I pulpy? I think I'm just throwing the word pulpy around. I don't know really know. If, I don't really know if I would say pulpy, but it's just good. It's just fun and light, and I think you do kind of want that on a cap book after coming off something so dark as we've had with Nick Spencer and Secret Empire. I think yeah, I think you want kind of a light book, which is what he did to Daredevil. He came off a dark, dark Daredevil run between Bendis and Brubaker. And then he came on Daredevil with Samney and did this lighthearted, swashbuckling Daredevil that just blew everybody away. I think coming off of Nick Spencer's Captain America, I think people will really respond well to their style on Cap. I don't know. I'm not feeling it. Well, maybe we'll uh, we'll have to review issue one. No, we're definitely gonna we're definitely gonna review issue one. I mean, there's uh, something I'm, about I'm, Mark I'd Wade. There's something about Mark Wade that I'm not feeling lately. 
some of his team stuff is a little cold for me, like his Avengers run. I, I am digging Champion, but I really like his solo books. Like I said, Daredevil, Black Widow. I, 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 he's written some of my favorite Spider-Man. I love his solo work. So I, I'm really, I'm looking forward to it. No, I'm I'm mistaken. I'm I was thinking somebody else's artwork. Sam Sammy's or Sam. I'm gonna just call him Sammy, even though it's yeah. Sam Knee. Uh, but Sammy, Sammy's got some good artwork going on there, and he's got some. It's definitely a little '60s feel to it, you know. That, yeah, that's it. That's what I'm trying to go for. Thank you. <laughs> but no, it's it's fine. It's 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 a nice hybrid of modern and '60s, so it 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 works. And I apologize for for giving them shit. Uh, it all depends on the colors, though. They start putting in that trippy Doom Patrol zine look colors. I'm going to be very upset. Um, I'm not sure if Sammy does his own colors. I think they work with the same colorist from book to book. I think they have the same colorist on Daredevil and Black Widow. So I'm sure they're bringing the same colorist over. I, I knew I knew this. It's it's blank and blanking on it. But the, the colorist on those two books has been phenomenal. I'm sure. I'm just fun. saying to stay out of the. Staying out of the uh, the trippy zone and no uh, Cap Wolf. I think Mark Wade <laughs> did Cap Wolf. I want to say Mark Wade did Cap Wolf. They just brought Cap Wolf back recently. You gotta be ago. fucking kidding me! Yeah, man. Why would they you actually? Do- they they did. Sam Wilson became Cap Wolf. I think for an issue or two. If I'm not mistaken. Uh, I don't know. I don't know about that one. No, Cat I'm Wolf just needs to not come back. I'm also really excited. The other creator news it came out before Comic Con is that Marvel signed Donny Cates to an exclusive deal. He's now going to be a Marvel exclusive writer. Donny Cates is killing it. He might not be a name that you recognize immediately, but he, he's amazing. He just wrapped up God Country for Image, which is this amazing miniseries. He's also writing Baby Teeth for Aftershock which is about a 16-year-old girl that gets pregnant with uh, the Antichrist. Also excellent. So I'm so glad that they got him. He's going to be taking over the Thanos comic from Jeff Lemire, which will be awesome. And what I'm really excited about, Matt, you're going to love it. We're bringing it up again. He's going to be writing Doctor Strange with the art team from The Vision, Gabriel Hernandez, Walta, and Jordi Belair. That's going to be an amazing book. Good for you. <laughs> Vision. I kind of lost count of how many times I've said it now. Oh, man. I guess I get at least one thing. The Superman Year One Frank Miller Ramita Jr. book can't be hot garbage at all, can it? Are you, you're being sarcastic, right? Because I'm so miserable that this is happening. Uh, yeah, it's just going to be wicked wicked writing and, ba- and not bad artwork, but just artwork. Why do we need Superman Year One? Why? I don't know. Oh man, I was, I was looking at my book on the side. I was like, I thought they were doing another Earth one, uh, but no, it's Year One. Uh, I mean, they are they are doing more Earth One books. But that's sadness. Oh, so they're so super, they're going to do a new origin of Superman. I don't know what they're going to change. I don't know if they're going to change anything. I don't know if it's going to be canon or what it's going to be. But yeah, Frank Miller. If you watch the video, he basically says that he's going to go back to when the, the Kens find him and they're raising him. and But it's year one, so it's supposed to take place in a year. So I don't know if he's just using that 
as a comparison, I don't know if it's really going to oh, be the first, unquote, the year first, one. The first year of Superman? Yeah, because in the video, he specifically says it's going to start from where the Kents find him. So it can't be the first year, because it'll just be him as a baby. So it's going to obviously have to span baby many years. Baby Superman. Yeah, baby Superman. I think he's just using year one as a comparison. I don't think it's actually going to be Superman year one. Yeah, I think that's going to make me poop my pants. Why does everything this you need of, like better bowel control, my friend? I know no more Taco Bell before the podcast. Everything is just—I mean, all I have to do is say vision, and just there you go again. <laughs> Damn it! Poop my pants uh, yeah, again. I, I, I don't. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about that. I also don't know how I feel about Grant Morrison returning to do Arkham Asylum two. That's you know so many years later. Yeah, because that what Arkham Asylum the original was just more of a. More, I would call it more of a concept album than an actual comic book. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to get some hate from the other comics writers again, but I just I don't care for it. Arkham Asylum, I bought it. I bought the trade because I heard that it's amazing, and I read it, and I was like, this is good, and I enjoy it, and it's weird and it's trippy, but I'm not going to put it above the long Halloween or, or anything like that. But it's not going to be Bruce. It's going to be... Damien in the future as Batman. Oh, great. More characters yeah. I don't care about. It's going to be revisiting the future that Morrison kind of tapped into during his Batman run. <sighs> the loathing is can we can we get off of Stan Soapbox and, and wrap this show up? Yeah, let's wrap it up. That's pretty much all the major news coming out of Comic-Con anyway. I I will talk to you next week. I'm going to go see Atomic Blonde this week, and that'll cheer me up in my comic book doldrums. And, me too. I'm so excited. And I'm sure there's going to be some amazing books that came out this week. I'm really enjoying getting back to the comic book store. Uh, got there Got there on Thursday. I want. I'm, this week, I'm going to strive really hard to get there on Wednesday and just get back onto the Wednesday mode of comic books and get some good books. And and uh, if anybody uh, watches or re- no, reads the Peter Parker Spectacular Spider-Man, watch the webbing on that book because it's god-awful. Uh, I agree. I read issue two, and now all I can do is see that webbing. But yeah, set up your pull list, man. Make sure to add Black Hammer to it. Yes, I'll, uh, what did I add last week? Uh, I, I think I added a lot of metal stuff, and I'm trying to think of... Oh, you know what I didn't add? I didn't add Generation Gone. Didn't do that. Some to... shocking. Surprised. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I, gotta, I gotta look at my indie pull list and see what I'm gonna put on there. But, um, alright, Anthony, you have a good week. Peace and love. Once again, there are several ways to continue the conversation after the show. Follow us on Twitter at monkeys underscore robots. You can look at all our silly photos on Instagram at monkeys fighting robots. You can follow me on Twitter at Matthew Sardo. My co-host Anthony is also on Twitter at the underscore great underscore ace. The biggest compliment we receive is when the subscriber number goes up on Blog Talk Radio. If you have a chance, we'd greatly appreciate a review of our show on iTunes. As always, the best way to listen to the show is on our website, monkeysfightingrobots.com. Okay, Lunchbox, let's try this again. There are so many people that made the sixth episode of the comic show on Monkeys Fighting Robots a success. Special shout out to my co-host, Anthony Composto. Hey, I want to give a special shout out to Mountain Man Comics as well up in Blue Ridge, Georgia. I visited them on vacation and their store is gorgeous. Be sure to check them out if you're in the area. Jessica Wynn designed the Monkeys of Robots logo. Are you a monkey? Are you a robot? The staff at Visual Realm built our website and keeps it up running. To all my friends, family, and the interweb, thank you very much for your support. I'm Matt Sardo, and this is Monkeys Fighting Robots.